Well, we are so excited that you're here today. We started a new series on the book of Daniel last, um, last Sunday, so if you have a Bible, you can open up. It's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's after like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and those major prophets. It's a book that we've never actually dove into as a church family, but it's very relevant for our culture today because we live in a culture that's really kind of chaotic and it's turning more and more hostile toward Christians. And Daniel gives us this message of how to have an unbending faith in a twisted or crooked world, a man of faith. And when I read the Bible, I've learned over the years to approach it in this way. Not to look at it as a book of history, because it can be um, overwhelming that way. It can and sometimes even be a little bit boring if that's how you approach it. But if you approach it as a living book, a book that's showing you examples of people who encountered a God who actually intervenes in the affairs of men, and that if God would do it for them, he would do it for us, that's what we're after. We're not after a bunch of head knowledge. And I don't even think our culture today is interested in what we have to know. They're interested in who we know. They're interested in, does God, the God you talk about, the God you say you believe in, really respond to prayers today? Does that God you believe in really rescue people in need today? Does that God that you claim that the Bible talks about uh, really, really show himself true to the promises he's made? And I am here to tell you, yes, he does. And I want to introduce you to that God if you don't know him. Last week, we looked at chapter 1 of Daniel. And just a quick history, God's people, known as the Israelites, divided into two separate groups. One became known as Israel. The other became known as Judah. And actually, Judah was composed of Judah, uh, the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin. And over the course of time, because of their rebellious hearts, God allowed other nations to come in and sweep them away. So first, the nation of Israel was swept away by the Assyrians. And now the Babylonians come and take the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and they begin to export people into Babylon. Some of those exports are these five-star recruits, sharp men, handsome, young, talented, knowledgeable. Their intent is to brainwash them, re-educate them in the traditions and the God's of, of the Babylonians, and they want to raise them up to be future leaders within the Babylonian kingdom, which is expanding. It is the dominant power in the world at that time. And Daniel, we find, has put his foot down and says, there's a line that I won't cross. There are some convictions I have, and it has to do with the food the king has offered us. It's food that's been sacrificed to the gods that he worships, and we will not eat it. And king, if you allow us to just to eat vegetables and to drink water, we will show that we will actually be healthier than the rest of the men. And sure enough, after 10 days, their physique looked healthier than anyone else, and they were promoted to places of position and authority. And we learned last week something that's a lesson all of us need to learn is that God positions you for his purpose, that oftentimes you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be. And it might be your job, it could be your school, it could be even in your family life, it could be in the neighborhood community you live, and you say, God, get me out of here. And God says, no, right now that's where you need to be, because in you I'm going to reveal myself in a powerful way. Through you I'm going to be glorified, because we are to be like lights in a dark world, and you've got to be in the darkness for the light to shine. So sometimes when it feels like there's darkness all around, that's okay. God's going to shine bright through you. Last week, a lady was coming to church, and she wrote me this note this week to say, this is what happened last Sunday. Pastor Darren, driving to church last Sunday morning, I was praying, and she puts in parentheses, out loud, which is one of our themes last month, and I asked God to please speak to me today. I asked for a message for me. And lo and behold, my prayer was answered. God spoke through you to me straight to my heart. Now I need to keep that message in my thick head and in my heart and to keep praying out loud. 
thank you. You know, I find when I open myself to hear from God and desire to follow him, God speaks in a way that I understand. God speaks in a way that I know it's him. And I want to ask you to do that today. I don't know what your background is. You may be your first time coming to this church, but I want to ask you, you'll be, would you be willing to say a prayer like that, that God, you know me better than anyone else, and if you do, speak something to me that helps me to know that you are paying attention to my life and calling me closer to you? Would you pray that prayer with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that these stories in the Bible aren't written for knowledge's sake. They're, they're written for faith's sake, to cause us to trust you like the people in the scriptures did. And I pray, Lord, that before we leave today, that we will have heard your voice and we will step forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. And before I read this, I actually want to give you just a little history of the culture of biblical times. This is about 6th century B.C. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And kings at the time didn't become the king because of the vote of the people like we're used to in America. They, they came in through violence. Usually, unless you were the son of the king, you came in because you overpowered the one sitting on the top of the hill. So you'd raise up your own little rebel army, you'd take out the king, and you'd sit in his chair. You became king, which meant that you'd have to look over your shoulder all the time for the next guy trying to rise up to knock you off the top of the hill. And so kings were very paranoid people. They would have these dreams at times, dreams they believed came from the gods. And so they had on their staff astrologers and sorcerers and magicians and enchanters to help them interpret their dreams. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream. It's really shaking him up. He doesn't know what it means. And he calls on his people to come together to tell him the meaning of it. And so they say, well, tell us what your dream is. He goes, no, we're not going to do that. Because if the gods are speaking to you, they're going to tell you what the dream was. That's how I'm going to know that you are truly interpreting my dream. Tell me what my dream is, and then tell me the interpretation of it, and I'll believe it. And, and they say, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Tell us the dream. And he's getting a little angrier and says, tell you what, I will reward the person richly who can interpret my dream. But if you cannot, I will cut you to pieces. Well, things are getting real serious now. See, the astrologers say, you know, you're, what you're asking is impossible. That's not how it works. And in verse 11, it says, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. So the order goes out. He's even angrier now. He is furious. Kill them all. Kill them all. Kill all the astrologers and chanters. And ter- Kill them all. I don't need them. And so the word goes out, and a panic begins to ensue. You can imagine Daniel and his buddies. Remember the ones that trusted God in chapter 1, ate the vegetables, drank the water, got elevated to positions of power. All, all of a sudden, their, their heads are literally on the chopping block. And they're, they're wondering, God, how did we get to this place? We were just sitting pretty snug over here, and now we're going to get killed for something we didn't even know we did. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What do you do when you feel like this is an impossible situation? God, how did I get in this place? Do you complain? Do you go negative? God, why me? Why us? Why now? This just doesn't seem fair. Do you panic? Do you yell at God? Does your blood pressure spike? Well, here's something Daniel knew, that there is a God who's greater than Nebuchadnezzar. And just like we looked at last week, even though Nebuchadnezzar is being very outrageous in his request, God is still in charge. 
And there really is a God who lives among humans. And Daniel knows that God, and he's going to be presented with an opportunity to show his king something no one else could show him, that there is a God who's listening and paying attention to his life. God has positioned you for his purpose. It may not be where you want to be, but it may be just where he wants you to be so that you can do something no one else will do because they don't believe their God can intervene. You, by stepping forward in faith, will communicate to the people who are watching you that there is a God who truly lives among men. See, others will encounter God through your faith. Others will watch how you respond to the crisis and the overwhelming situation, and you will have an opportunity to introduce them to God. This is so critical for parents. If you're a parent, your kids aren't looking for you to explain the Bible to them. They're, in, they're, they're looking for you to show them that your God is real, that he does answer your prayers, that he can be trusted, and how you respond to the crises in your home, in your marriage, in your finances, and all of those things. They're watching. Will your God come through? Because the gods out there aren't coming through. Will yours? And we want to say, yes, he will. Our God does indeed live among the humans. So how do you face a daunting situation? Let's see how Daniel faced it. Starting at verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time that he might interpret the dream for him. He chose to respond with faith, not fear. Can you imagine the knock on the door? Arioch says, hey, guys, today's the last day of your life. King says you're going to be killed because nobody can interpret his dream. So just be prepared. And Daniel's response is brilliant because he, he, he turns this man, it says, with wisdom and tact, he says, why, why is this so harsh? Why is the response of the king so harsh? And could I be given the opportunity to interpret it for him? So he asked the king. It may seem like a ploy just to buy time, but Daniel, Daniel's stepping out in faith. Has God told him he would give him the revelation of the dream? No. How does Daniel know God's going to come through for him? He doesn't. That's what faith is. Faith means I'm going to step out and say, God, you better come through, because if you don't come through, I'm dead. So you've got to come through, God, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to come through. When you face these overwhelming situations, you know, you can respond in a number of ways. Daniel could have said, I, I'm going to ignore that. What, the, what Ariak just told me, I'm going to ignore it. It's not true. I wasn't at the meeting. I never heard the king say it. I don't believe it. It's like a lady I met this week who, who had something in her body that wasn't right, and she says, I, I just, I didn't want to believe it was cancer. And now it's grown so far, she's went to the hospital this week to have it removed. It really was cancer. And you could deny the doctor's visit or the doctor's report doesn't make it go away. You can ignore the bad news. It doesn't make it go away. You can go negative with the bad news. Oh, my goodness, God, I cannot believe this. I can't believe you put us in this position, God. I thought you were a good God. I thought you were a gracious God, a good, good father, and here I am, and I'm risking my own death because of you. You could panic and just go hysterical and crazy. Early in my ministry, when I was a children's pastor, I didn't want to be a children's pastor. I did it because I felt God had opened a door. And immediately, I'm starting to get bombarded with questions that a single guy can't answer. Questions like, do you wash the toys in the nursery? I said, why? Are they dirty? She goes, 
Yeah, the kids, have you ever watched babies? They suck on these things. They drool all over these toys. They need to be washed every single week. They need to be sterilized. Dawn on me, they hadn't been washed in over a year. Again, I'm a, come on, I'm a single guy. I, didn't, I don't know little babies do that. I never had a baby. So I said, would you be the, the toy washer? So that was her ministry, toy washer. Uh, people would come up and ask me about, you know, we built some new modular buildings, and, and there, were, there were six rooms in each modular, and two of the rooms had, had bathrooms in them. And when the classes moved in there, they said, how come there's only two bathrooms in these whole, this whole building? Because people need to use a bathroom. I said, yeah, but, but kids wear diapers until they're five. <laughs> Did you know they don't? <laughs> and the workers don't use diapers either. And so I'm going, Lord, what, am I, what have I got myself into? I'm not equipped to be a children's pastor. I don't have little ones. And, and, you know, we had hundreds of kids coming, and I was the only pastor and the only staff person. And I was really, I was overwhelmed. I was in deep water, way over my head. And there was one night when I had a meeting with leaders, and I was so depressed. I'd never felt so depressed in my life that I, I, I couldn't function. And I told Julie, I said, I am emotionally so sick right now. Would you call everyone and cancel the meeting? I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? This is going to crush me. And I, and I determined through the Lord, we have to move forward into faith. Rather than run from this, rather than recoil from this, we need to step into it with faith. God, you put me here for a reason. You need to come through with an answer, and with you we'll make it. And I never felt like that ever, ever again. How do you respond when you face an overwhelming situation that's about ready to crush you? Well, Daniel didn't recoil. Daniel didn't feel desperate because of two reasons. Number one, I believe, is that the king needed an answer. If he's going to kill everybody, then he's not going to get an answer from anyone. So Daniel knows he needs an answer from someone. I'm going to be the person to give him the answer. Two, he knew who could give him the answer. He knew the God that probably put the dream in Nebuchadnezzar. And if God put the dream in him, God knew the reason why the dream was given and could give Daniel the interpretation. Folks, that is faith. And what do you do when you face a daunting situation? I mean, some of you are in high school. Daniel was a 15-year-old in the story, it's believed, teenager. You're dealing with overwhelming situations. I believe some of our kids today are, are being crushed by the, the weight of expectations upon them, the weight of peer pressure that's upon them. I mean, even in the years that I've been at this church, every year there's a story or two or three of kids within our community who commit suicide. Why did they take their life? Because they didn't see a way out. They were being crushed by the circumstances and saw no way out. I run into older people. By the way, I turned 56 this week, and I used to think 56 was old. Not anymore. <laughs> it's not old. It's, it's halfway. My, my mom turns 90 this week. She's old. She's old. And every time I talk to her, mom says, did you know so-and-so? Yo, they passed away last week. I thought, Mom, every time we talk, there's another funeral. Just, just don't call me to tell me it's yours, okay? You get that, right? So, so my mom's getting older. But you know what happens when you get older? You get lonely. And sometimes you're without your spouse. And usually the body doesn't cooperate like it used to, and the mind starts to go, and the hips don't work, and the joints, and then even the financial burdens. And you can be an older person feeling overwhelmed by circumstances. You could be a, a young couple with kids, and the financial burdens are so great. I mean, the medical bills, 
school, tuitions, all these things. You can just feel crushed by the weight of all these responsibilities. Where do you turn? Do you go negative? Do you panic? Do you worry? Do you complain? Or do you say, God, we're going to get through this? Because you're the God who's in charge of everything, and you're in charge of my life. You will get us through. That's responding with faith. And that's what Daniel does. But he does more than that. In verses 17 and 18, it says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel's told, king wants to execute everybody, including you and your friends. And he has to go inside the house and say, Hey, guys, got some really, really bad news for you. Yeah, this is the last day of your life. So whatever you're planning to do today, forget it. The only thing that matters now is this. We better start praying. He immerses this in prayer. Not casual prayer, by the way. He's pleading with God for mercy. I can almost hear his prayer. These guys are all on their knees saying, God, you've got to come through. God, we will not live another day if you don't come through now and reveal the dream and the meaning of the dream to us. Please, Father, if you want to be glorified in us in this sinful place, you have to keep us alive because if we're dead, we can't glorify you. Reveal this dream to us. They're pleading with God. I love the fact that Daniel didn't go out by himself but got his buddies together and and prayed because I think there's power in numbers when it comes to prayer. There's power in corporate prayer. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the power of believers coming together and raising their voices in prayer. And, you know, I don't know why some of us are afraid to do it, but I know one of the biggest reasons why we don't, it's a thing called pride. Because think about it. When you pray, you are confessing you have a need, a need that only God can satisfy. So that's humbling. And if you, if you tell other people about it, it's acknowledging publicly that, hey, guys, I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the talent. I don't have all the ingenuity to figure this out. So would you come with me and ask God to help us? Because it's really humbling. I mean, think about it. If you're a dad without a job, are you willing to pull the whole family together, the kids included, and say, I can't find a job, and I don't know. I've tried, and it's not working. And I need God's help. Would you guys pray for Daddy right now? Pray for him to get a job? That's humbling to do it, but God loves humility. God loves to answer the prayers of humble people who look to him in faith, and so they cry out for him. In the book of Revelation, there's this picture of a, of a, a gold bowl with, with incense, and it says the incense is the prayers of the saints. When I picture a bowl filled with prayers, I, I think of the water park in Fountain. Go to that water park. Some of you have been there. There's some buckets that are high up in the air, and this water keeps shooting into these buckets to the point when they get full, they flip. And if you're under the bucket, you get showered with the water. Well, picture this, this bowl in heaven, and the prayers keep filling this, this, this uh, bowl. And when it gets to a certain point, I call the tipping point, the bowl tips, and heaven, heaven's favor falls out. Now, I don't know if that happens that way, but in my mind, I'm picturing that because when people pray corporately, there's much more going up to God, more prayers. And, and if God hears your prayers, man, if you can get a bunch of people praying, praying passionately, fill that bucket fast, let's get that bucket tipped soon. And so Daniel and his buddies are praying, and the bucket tips real soon. Because here's what happens. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, 
Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you and have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel knew who to ask. He knew who to go to. God, there is a king here who, who's, who's upset and temperamental and he's confused, but you are the king above him. And you put all these kings into place. You're above him. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to appeal to the highest authority. He knew what to ask. This God possesses all wisdom, all knowledge, and all power. Surely he knows the answer to this situation. And he knew why he should ask him because he said, you're the God of my ancestors. I look back in history and you've done it for uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and David, and, and the list goes on and on of people you've, you've responded to, people who are in covenant with you. And you, if you've done it for them, you'll do it for me. He had access as a child of God to the Father. So the prayers go up and they're answered quickly, powerfully, and very specifically. He got exactly what he was asking for. And so they, they praise and thank God. God. I imagine there's a little bit of dancing going on. <laughs> guys, I know. Guys, I, wake up. Mishael, wake up, Hananiah. God gave it to me. Yeah, we're going to live. I know what the answer is. He's so excited. Then he says, God, I thank you. God, I praise you. You came through just like I asked you to. Whenever you pray and ask God, make sure you thank him. Our little grandson this week surprised me because every time I did something for him, we get him Thursday nights, Friday day, Give him a, get him a, his little drink. Get him a cookie. You know, uh, you know, you didn't even change his diaper. And he says, thank you, Baba. And it was just like, what happened? I don't know if it's a school he's going to, but he's, just, he's always saying thank you. And I said, oh, you're welcome. Then he goes, welcome, back to me. But he's so grateful. I think our Father loves to hear us say thanks. And all you need to say is, thank you, Abba. That's, that's daddy in Aramaic. That's our father. Thank you, Abba. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Make sure you thank God because he hears our prayers. When facing obstacles, watch what God does as he comes through. And then we jump down to verses 27 and 28. He comes to the king. He tells him, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. Now, we're going to get to those in just a minute. Daniel wanted, wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know this. God, not your gods, the God that I worship, the God of heaven, he's the God who came through. So don't pat me on the back for being an awesome interpreter. I had nothing to do with it. God had everything to do with it. He wants to make sure that, that when the cameras are rolling and the microphone's put before Daniel, he says, I want to praise, first of all, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, he wants to give God all the credit, like, you know, a Tim Tebow would or some other athlete. So he interprets the dream. First, he tells him what the dream is. Verse 31, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and 
partly of baked clay. And while you are watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream. He begins to explain the dream and, and tells Nebuchadnezzar that, you know, in this dream it's referring to the kingdoms. You are the head of gold. Your great glorious kingdom of Babylon, greatest kingdom in that time period, it is like gold, but there's coming another kingdom, one of silver, and then there'll be one of bronze, and there'll be one of, of clay and then, or iron, and then iron mixed with clay. And these are kingdoms all to come, but there's coming another one, a kingdom not of human origin, of divine origin, that's represented by this rock that comes out of the mountain, smashes all the statue and all the other kingdoms to pieces and begins to rise up. That's really the, the key of the whole story. What is he talking about? What's coming down the road? And so I'm going to jump ahead just for the sake of time to verse 44. In the time of those kings, the kings of the gold and silver and bronze and all those, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, itself, it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of, a, out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. In other words, Nehemiah, this dream is about the rock. That's what this is all about. And Daniel's now in a position where he can confidently speak the message. This is so critical that he's going to share a message because without the message, Nehemiah is going to be, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be lost. We have to share the message that follows actions. We are to represent Christ in our behavior, and people see Jesus in us, but they don't come to know Jesus until we actually share a message. It's like I can look at the cross and, here it is, Jesus died on the cross. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible tells me that's why he did it. It's only through the word of God that I understand he died for my sins. Without it, I just see a man executed. He probably did something horrible. But the gospel message says, no, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that died on a cross, buried for our sins, and rose from the dead. I learned that through Scripture. I learned it through the story. So actions give us the platform to be heard, kind of like when those divers this summer, the Olympic divers, synchronized divers, um, got the silver medal, and the reporters asked them about it, and they decided they would give a testimony about God's goodness to them. See, God gives the platform for us then to give the message, to point attention back to him. And that message is a combination sometimes of both good and bad. So as he tells Nebuchadnezzar, the good news is you're the, you're the head of gold. I really am. Yeah, you're awesome. You're powerful. Yes, I am. And you're not going to last forever because someone else is coming along. Kingdom of silver. Really? Yep, kingdom of silver is going to come, and then a kingdom of bronze and a kingdom of iron, a kingdom of iron and clay. Well, most historians acknowledge that to be first the Babylonian kingdom, then the Medo-Persian kingdom, then the, then the Greeks and, and, and the Romans and all these other kingdoms that follow historically. But there is coming a kingdom of divine origin that will be greater than all the other kingdoms. It will be supernaturally formed like a rock out of a mountain. It'll, it'll begin to grow. Rocks don't grow, but this rock, rock grows. This kingdom's going to grow and, and be so large and so lasting, it will be eternal. And so, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know this message. Well, who is the rock? 
Well, we know by the New Testament it's Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Now, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon this rock, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, my mom told me that Peter's the rock. Let me tell you what Peter says. Peter said he wasn't the rock, but the rock was someone else. Peter quotes Scripture. It says in 1 Peter 2, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe the stone is precious... But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not, excuse me, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The rock is Jesus. And some will step on that rock to a higher place. Some will be crushed. They'll trip over that rock. And there's good news and bad news. Nehemiah, the, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the good news is you're that king. Bad news is there's coming, coming a kingdom that's going to obliterate your kingdom. Your kingdom will look like nothing in his sight. And you and I need to know, good news is God made you in his image. The bad news is you and I have sinned and tarnished that image. But the good news is God sent his one and only son to die on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Bad news is you reject Jesus, you spend an eternity, eternity separated from him. It's good news and bad news. We have to be willing to share both of those. And like Nehemiah, we've got to learn that there is a king who reigns forever, and we need to surrender to him. And so here's what, here's what Nebuchadnezzar does. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Basically, he was saying, I want your God. That's the real God. That's the God who lives among humans. I want that God. And he, he began to worship this God, this pagan king, began to worship Daniel's God. People are watching how you respond to those overwhelming situations. How are you going to be different than everybody else? You will not be different unless you step out in faith in the midst of that. Say, I'm going to trust God to do something amazing. I'm going to trust God to do something that would bring him glory. Sometimes you may make a mistake in doing it, but more often than not, you will find God honoring that step of faith. I'm not talking about making foolish decisions, but faith-based ones.